Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, hello, New York Rangers fans, and welcome to the season three premiere of the new Ice City podcast. I'm your host, Vincent Mercagliano of the USA Today Network, and we are back after a little bit more than a month off. We took the month of August off as the NHL and and all the different reporters and people who work around the league mostly took some time to regroup and get set for the new season But here we are. We're approaching the middle of September. Today, the day that I'm recording is September 14th. And now we are very, very, very close to the new season. It is good to be back. The summer went quick. I have to admit to you guys, I'm sure it felt like that for you as well. I think part of it had to do with the fact that the Rangers played well into June, which cut into the usual summertime that we have. My first few years on the beat, the Rangers didn't make the playoffs. Well, at least the the first year was a little weird because of COVID and all that. And we did end up coming back for the bubble, but that was all done from home. A lot of time sitting at home and waiting and biding our time and trying to figure out what was going to come next. This past season was the first time that I'd covered the team when they made the playoffs outright. Of course, they go on that tremendous run to the Eastern Conference final, kept me and all of you who follow the team very busy for an extended stretch of time. And so that shortened the summer quite a bit. Definitely tried to maximize it with a few vacations. Went down to Maryland a couple times to visit with the in-laws. We did a week at Fenwick Island, Delaware, which is a beautiful little beach town. Spent the 4th of July there. And most recently, got away and went to Puerto Rico for the first time, which was absolutely beautiful. The, the Caribbean beaches down there and the food and the rainforest. It was just it was a great vacation. Really, really enjoyed being able to get away with the family a few times. Definitely continue to get settled into our new place. Some of you will remember that at the end of the season, we closed on our new place, ended up trying to navigate the move during the playoffs, which was chaotic. And finally, this summer was able to relax, catch my breath, do some stuff around the house, some little fixes here and there. The whole place feels very much like home now. I am in my somewhat new and improved podcast studio slash office at home right now. And by new and improved, I mean there's a couple of hockey posters and a curtain now, which which we didn't have last season. So that's a slight improvement. But my main responsibility My main task, my main focus for the summer, on top of doing some work, and we're going to get into some of the stuff that I did over the summer, but it was daddy daycare around here. It was me and the little guys spending a lot of time together, which was was just tremendous. I mean, he was starting to walk at the end of the season last year, and I was constantly running in and out of the house. I think that last month or two during the playoffs, I spent more nights in hotels than I did at home, which was exciting, but also in some ways kind of sad. I mean, those of you who have kids know that it can be 
it, it can be really tough when you feel like you're missing out on stuff or you're not there as much as, as you should be. And so I was very grateful to have the time to spend with him this summer. We didn't do a whole lot of daycare. We mostly just hung out every single day. We would go on our little walks around the neighborhood, a lot of local parks. At least once a week, we would go to the pool, the splash parks where they have these like sprinklers locally that shoot out of the ground. And he absolutely loved that. He's not just walking now. He is running. He's talking more and more each day. It, it's really pretty incredible. And I'm, I'm so, so grateful that I had this summer to spend a lot of quality time with the little guy. Now he has shifted and is spending most of his weekdays, at least for the foreseeable future, at Nona Daycare, which is my mother who is now officially retired and has graciously taken the lead on taking care of the little guy while mommy and I both work. So we are back to work. We are back to podcasting. We are back to writing. There's a whole lot of stuff going on. I hope the summer was enjoyable for you guys as well. And now the timing is perfect to start things back up, to get this season three premiere out there. Rookie camp for the Rangers began today on Wednesday the 14th. So whole lot of rookies and some prospects that have better chances than others. Quite frankly, of all the prospects that are there at this rookie camp, there's only three or four who probably have a realistic chance of playing for the Rangers this season. But it's still an exciting thing for these prospects to experience. A lot of them will go back to their various junior leagues once this week-long camp concludes. But a handful will stay on, and this is a first chance for us to get a look at them and for them to get a head start on the process of making an impression on the Rangers coaching staff and Rangers management. That is a good segue into our guest this week, who is the head coach, not only for the Ottawa 67s in the OHL, but also for Team Canada at the World Juniors. Many of you know that Canada won gold at this year's World Junior Championships, which was held in August as opposed to the usual Christmas time. So because Coach Cameron is coming off of that big gold medal win and because he had three Rangers prospects on that gold medal team, I had reached out to him during the summer while I was working on my prospect rankings to get his opinion on some guys. And then I ran by coming on the podcast and and he liked the idea and was very gracious with his time and really appreciate it. So we're going to have him on the show as this week's guest. You'll hear from him in a little while. We'll talk about the World Juniors. We'll talk about Brennan Othman, Will Cooley, and Dylan Grand, which were the three Rangers prospects who played for him for Team Canada. Also get a little insight into his relationship with some people on the Rangers coaching staff. He actually grew up and went to school with Mike Kelly, one of the Rangers assistants, and he also knows Gerard Gallant pretty well. So get a little insight uh, from him into, into what those guys are like off the ice as well during that interview. So this week, we're definitely going to spend a decent amount of time talking about the rookies and the prospects. And then next week, beginning on Wednesday, September 21st, is when NHL camp will officially open. And that is when the train will really start rolling toward the 22-23 NHL season. That's when the Rangers will be fully back together on the ice and will begin to get a sense for what this year's team has in store. Now, since the last time we recorded, which I believe was the last week of July, 
there hasn't been much that's changed as far as the Rangers. No big moves or trades or signings or anything like that. You could look at the Jimmy VC signing as, as probably the most noteworthy thing. He's coming in on a PTO, which is a professional tryout contract, which basically means he's not guaranteed anything, a roster spot or anything like that. He'll have a chance to compete in camp and add some depth. My personal opinion is that he's a little bit of a long shot to make the opening night lineup. Whether or not he makes the roster is to be determined. He could end up maybe in Hartford if he's willing to go that route. He could end up getting claimed by another team. Or if an injury happens or if he surprises with how well he plays, then it's possible he ends up breaking camp with the Rangers as well. But that's a depth signing. A guy who's familiar with the area, familiar with the Rangers, spent, I think, four seasons here from 16 to 19, I want to say. Maybe three seasons that was. And has kind of bounced around since then and has had a little bit of a tough time really holding down a role for any team. So I I don't think that they're really big impact signing, but it gives the Rangers a veteran option, gives them a little bit of depth because they are going to be relying on quite a few young forwards this season. And if certain situations don't pan out, I think they look at VC as a decent fallback option. But beyond that, there's really not much new to report. I did... This week, once I finally got back to work, I took a few extra days after I got back from Puerto Rico last week, but starting on Monday, started cracking down with the writing and getting set for the new season. And the first thing that I did was for my own knowledge or for my own working mind, I I like to sort of jot down the depth chart at each position for the Rangers. And that's not just the four forwards, you know, at each position that are expected to be in the lineup. I like to go four deep beyond that and and think of it, well, you know, if the Rangers need a call-up, if there's an injury, if someone isn't performing well, who's next in line to possibly come up and play that position? And that's kind of how I look at it. And so I jotted all that stuff down on my own, and, and, and then I thought it made sense to turn that into a couple different stories. So the first story was looking at the forwards, left wing, right wing, center, And then the second story was looking at both sides of the defense as well as the goalies. And that, if you guys go to loha.com slash sports slash rangers to check out those stories, it should give you a good sense of where things stand heading into camp, which guys are likely to be in the lineup, which guys could end up in the lineup if things fall their way, where the depth is strong, where the depth is a little thin, and went over all that in those stories as I broke all that down, it became even more clear to me that there's not too many position battles that we're looking at going into this camp. A lot of the roles are established. You could look at the fourth line and there's definitely going to be some competition there. Is Sammy Blay or Barclay Goudreau going to play in the top nine? Because I believe that one of those guys probably will need to play in the top nine. But the other one will almost certainly be on the fourth line. And then how do you surround them? You've got Ryan Carpenter, who the Rangers brought in, who can play some center as an offseason signing and a guy that I know they like for depth purposes. You have 
Dryden Hunt, who was here last year and the Rangers believe can be effective in a fourth line role. You have Ryan Reeves, a veteran who's definitely slowed down in a lot of aspects of his game, but is still really valued for his locker room leadership and is definitely loved in that room and still brings a lot of physicality. And you know, Gerard Gallant really trusts him. So you kind of got this mix of four or five guys who are going to be competing to prove who can play on the fourth line. You could look at a guy like Will Cooley, a rookie, as maybe an outside long shot to, to maybe sneak in at one of those roles if he has a really good camp. But beyond that, most of the questions about this roster, in my mind, are about the youth. You could look at Vitaly Kratsov after all that he's been through here. Is he ready to hold down a top nine role? Because All indications are that he is going to have an opportunity to do that. And quite frankly, if you look at the Rangers roster construction and you look at those depth charts, they really kind of need Vitaly Kratsov to play, at least on the third line, to really make you feel like this team has enough talent and skill to accomplish the goals that they have. Where will Alexi Lafreniere play? That's going to be a big question going into camp. Does he shift over to the right side yet again try to play on his offhand side so that he can play on the top line potentially with Mika Zabanajad and Chris Kreider and finally take on that added responsibility, play legitimate top six minutes and, and sort of, you know, take the training wheels off and let him fly. Is this going to be a breakout season for him? Or are the Rangers still convinced that he's better off on the left side, which we know is where he's more comfortable And does that mean that he's stuck on the third line? And then what kind of minutes is he playing? You also have to wonder what's going to happen on the bottom defensive pair. We know that Braden Schneider is pretty much assured to have that spot on the right side after coming up and playing over 60 games last season, if you combine regular season and playoffs. But the left side is a huge question mark right now. The Rangers traded Patrick Nemeth to the Arizona Coyotes in a salary cap relief move in July. They have not, up to this point, brought in a veteran who can legitimately compete for that spot. So what do you have? You have Zach Jones, who in my mind is the favorite going into camp. 21-year-old will soon be 22. He is at the top, I believe, of the depth chart of left-handed defenseman prospects. But right behind him, you have Matthew Robertson, who... Brings a much different skill set. Jones is a puck mover, uh, an offensive guy, a really dynamic playmaker from the blue line. Robertson does not have those kind of skills, but he does have about six inches on Zach Jones. He is considered a much sturdier defender. I think he's impressed a lot of people with his mobility, with his ability to use his stick to defend. I definitely, when working on our prospect series this summer, got the sense from a handful of scouts that they'd like to see more physicality in his game, especially for a guy that size. But I think right now you've got Jones and Robertson both coming into this camp feeling like they have a shot. And we actually got to speak to both of them today on the first day of rookie camp. And I found this particularly interesting from Jones because Jones, as as some of you might know, is actually no longer technically a rookie. Because he's played more than six NHL games in two consecutive seasons, his rookie status has expired. The Rangers, from what Jones said today, 
actually gave him the option of, hey, you know, we understand that you're more advanced than a lot of the prospects who will be at rookie camp. So you don't have to come if you don't want to. But Jones said, no, I want to be there. I want to have the extra week of skating and competing and playing to give myself a head start in this competition. He said the spot is open. He did not sugarcoat it. Robertson was a little more tentative to come out and and really say, hey, I know that spot's up for grabs and I want it. But Jones made no bones about it. He said, listen, that spot is open and I'm here because I want to show that I'm ready. I want to prove that I'm ready to be an NHL regular. So that was interesting in Jones's conversation today. He looked to me, because FYI, so you guys know, I'm, I know I'm very excited about this, probably more than any of you are. And I'm, I know other reporters feel the same way as I do. The plan right now is that the COVID restrictions are, are, are lifted and we are going to be back in the locker room every day, able to have one-on-one conversations with players, able to get a feel for what the locker room is like, able to get a feel for where guys' heads are at, just being much more present around the team than we were the past couple years when first we had Zooms for a while and then we shifted to last year where it was all podium settings and and group interviews. So very excited about that. That's going to help us kind of get a feel for the locker room and get a feel for the team much, much more so than we did the previous two seasons. That's just a side note. But so because of that today, standing next to Zach Jones, I did get the impression that that he looked he looked like he he put on some muscle to me. And he said that he added 10 pounds in the summer and that he's up to about 180 now. He's still listed only 5'10, and quite frankly, that's probably generous. He might be more like 5'9, maybe 5'10. I don't know. I didn't break out a ruler or anything, but that's just my impression. But he's not the biggest guy. He needs to add strength. And he said that that was his biggest focus this summer and that he felt like the AHL, which is a very physical league, that he got pushed around a little too much last season. So I think that is going to be the key for him. He needs to prove to Gerard Gallant that he is ready to hold up to the rigors of an 82-game NHL season. And if he can do that with all the talent and the skill that he has, I believe that the job will be his. But Robertson, as I've told you guys before, I do believe will be a sleeper. So those are some of the training camp battles. And again, if you want to look a little deeper into the depth chart, we're going to get into what the line combinations might be, where some of the star players like Panarin and Zabanajad and Fox are at as far as their readiness for the season, as far as what kind of roles they're going to play. We're going to get into all that stuff once training camp starts. But today, after touching on some of that stuff initially, I I want to get and spend more time focusing on some of the prospects and the rookies that we're going to see in the next handful of days. I would definitely encourage everybody, because I mentioned this last episode a month and a half ago, I put more time and effort in the summer into our prospect rankings than anything else. It's a series of 10 stories. I gathered a lot of opinions. I mean, hours worth of interviews I ended up transcribing. I gathered a lot of opinions about who the top prospects in the Rangers organization are heading into this new season. And I ended up ranking the top 10 and I wrote a story about each one of those 10 guys. A lot of insight into each guy, spoke to multiple sources about each one of those prospects and really proud of the work that ended up coming out with that. So if you haven't gotten a chance to check it out yet, 
Definitely go to loha.com slash sports slash rangers to check out those prospect rankings. I can run through some of the top guys really quick. The number one spot, because we weren't including guys like Zach Jones and Nils Lundqvist, who have played over 20 NHL games now and have sort of graduated from being considered prospects, the top spot really came down to Brandon Othman, who is who we ended up giving the number one spot to. And the other guy, the only other guy, I should say, that certain scouts told me they preferred or they still see as the number one prospect in the organization was Vitaly Kratsov. Now, you might not look at him as a prospect anymore, but he'll technically be a rookie this season. He's only played 22 NHL games, and that was two seasons ago. Last year, he did not play in the NHL at all. We know about the drama and all the ups and downs that he's had in his relationship with Chris Drury and with the Rangers and the disappointment of not making the team last year. But a lot of people are looking at this like a fresh start for him. Clean slate. He is highly motivated from everybody that I've talked to to sort of quiet the doubters. I think it really did not sit well with him that there was this narrative out there that he was this entitled brat who didn't get his way and went home. And I don't think I don't think that stuff sat well with him. And right now, I think he has definitely come to an understanding with the Rangers. Both sides have come to this understanding that they need each other. The Rangers, because of how tight their salary cap situation is, they need cheap, young talent. And Kratzoff is a guy who definitely falls into that category with a salary of under a million dollars for this coming season. And for Kratzoff, he's just itching for an opportunity to prove that he can play at this level. And right now, that opportunity can only come with the Rangers because they weren't going to trade him for a low ball offer. Chris Drury was not going to do that. He was very willing to sit on the asset and hold it and wait it out and see if maybe things would come back around and things would settle down and they could try to give it one more go. And that is what all indications are is going to happen right now. And I'm telling you, there's still a lot of people that believe that Kratzoff has the talent to be a legitimate top nine, if not maybe even top six forward in this league. So he's going to have an opportunity to prove that. But we ended up settling on Brennan Othman as the number one prospect because when you combined the production that he had in the OHL last year with 50 goals, you look at what he did at the World Juniors where he was a key player for that first place team Canada. And then what multiple people said to me, one scout used the term refreshing when talking about Othman's combination of the scoring and the skill along with the snarl and that physicality and that willingness to mix it up that he showed in the World Juniors. You look at some of the highlights from the World Juniors, a few of the biggest hits from the entire tournament came from Brennan Othman. And I know a lot of coaches and a lot of scouts that I talk to love that about his game, love that that sort of comes naturally to him. And you're going to hear Dave Cameron in just a few minutes talk about how much Othman impressed him in that regard of the tournament. But that that is what sort of set... Othman apart is that he has the skill and the scoring and his left-handed shot. He showed it off a few times today on the first day of rookie camp. That stuff all jumps out to you, but it's also that he plays with that edge that doesn't always come naturally to highly skilled players like him. So that set Othman apart. I had Kratzoff at number two. 
I had Will Cooley, another forward with a real chance to play for the Rangers this year, at number three. That was pretty clear, the top three. And then after that, it, it got a little trickier. I was going back and forth in number four for a while. But a lot of people I talked to are still high on Matthew Robertson. The point production doesn't jump out. But as far as the size and the mobility and the reach, a lot of people feel like he will. It's not a matter of if, but when he becomes a regular NHL defenseman. Some people felt like it's going to be a bottom pair. Some people felt like, you know, maybe he could end up developing to the point where you're okay with him on a second pair. I don't think a lot of people view him as a potential number one defenseman or top pair defenseman, but a lot of people really feel like this is a guy who will be a steady presence on a bottom pair at some point in his NHL career. Dylan Grand, the goalie for Team Canada, emerged definitely in the last year or so, one CHL goalie of the year. He was our fifth-ranked prospect. And then after him, it was a bunch of forwards that, for varying reasons, we felt like needed to be in the top 10. Brett Berard, Adam Sikora, Ryder Korzak, Bryce McConnell-Barker, and Bobby Trevino, the undrafted free agent for the Rangers, came in at number 10. I think that one might have surprised people a little bit, but a lot of people I talked to are high on him. I actually had a couple people try to convince me to put him higher than number 10, which was interesting. So prospect rankings, definitely go check those out if you get a chance. You can read a lot deeper into each one of those guys. But for now, let's go deeper on Offman, Cooley, and Grant specifically in this conversation with Team Canada World Juniors champion head coach Dave Cameron. Now let's welcome into the show a guest who has done a lot of coaching this summer. He's had quite a busy summer. That would be the head coach of the Ottawa 67s and also the gold medal winning coach for Team Canada in the World Juniors. That would be Dave Cameron. So Dave, really appreciate you doing this. How's it going? I know you're, you're pretty steep now in getting ready for, for this new OHL season. So, Yeah, great. We're in the middle, we're in the middle of uh, training camp, but... There's a little lull now because uh, as the NHL rookie camps are opening, teams lose, uh, you know, the players that were drafted. So we're down five players. So uh, um, it'll be a little bit of a lull in the action. There's no exhibition games allowed through this period of time, obviously, because teams don't, in a lot of cases, have enough players to to put together a formidable team to play the game. So a little bit of a downtime, but uh, exciting. But it sounds like you're still getting some work in. You said you were just doing video reviews. So are you are you giving anybody a hard time right now? Did I interrupt anything? Well, I call it I call it the uh, truth room. So uh, you know your players are always looking for feedback, and uh, so uh, they're they're visual. So uh, you know the video the video's a, a part of it. Well, the, I'm sure that there was some truth room activity going on at the World Juniors. What what were those uh, sessions like? Well, you know, the World Junior, the World Junior was a little bit different this year, just generally because usually we have two to three weeks where we have our team uh, to prepare them. You know, we have three or four exhibition games and then the tournament starts. But since it was shifted to the summer, uh, our team actually got together August 1st. We had one exhibition game August 8th and then our tournament uh, started on August 10th. So it was a real quick swing there. So our, our big challenge was, you know, you, you had to get your team ready. So, you know, you had to cover a lot of stuff, but you had to be very careful, too, because of the length of the days, um, because there, there's no there's no system your team can play if it lacks energy. But uh, 
we were fortunate enough. We had we had spent those two to three weeks with the club at Christmas and actually had gotten a few games in uh, before the tournament was canceled. So we kind of had a, a bit of a uh, uh, medium to draw on there. But uh, I think we had a turnover of seven players from the Christmas team uh, to the summer team. So there were some guys getting introduced for the first time. Well, obviously, it worked out quite well for you guys. Congratulations again uh, on winning the gold medal. What has it been like now in the weeks that it's been since that happened? Just around Canada, what has the reception been like for, for you and for some of the players? Well, it's been it's been really exciting, obviously. Uh, you know, it's a big tournament. Uh, even though it was shifted, it was such a tradition at Christmas time that, you know, you, you talk to people over the years. I coached previously, you talked to them over the years, and, they basically said their whole Christmas holidays were kind of geared around it. It was a real social thing and, and the rinks were full. But uh, even if you go back to last year, Christmas time with the COVID, um, you know, we had very, very few fans. So we lost some of that luster, the emotion of it. And this summer was kind of the same thing uh, up until the gold medal game, the old gold medal game. I'm going to say we had probably 14,000 people, which would be a normal crowd, I think, on a, on a regular uh, Christmas uh, world junior, but uh, it's a big tournament here in Canada. There's lots of recognition. Uh, you still get people that come up to you and, and really excited and, and congratulate you. So uh, there's obviously when you win and hockey is such a big thing up here, uh, there's always a real good fallout. It, it sounded like it was loud for that gold medal game. Obviously a very exciting game against Finland comes right down to the wire for you guys. The play that's ingrained in my mind, and I think many others, is Mason McTavish kind of making that save right when the puck looked like it was going to go over the goal line to keep you guys alive, and then Kent Johnson wins it for you. So, so that that game, what were the nerves like? What was the, what were the emotions like throughout that gold medal game? Well, you know, it's it's like most big games. There, there's uh, as the momentum flows, uh, the emotions flow. Uh, but in a nutshell, we knew we knew how good the Finns were. Uh, we knew that in, in all big games, whether, you know, your semifinal game, your final game, it, it's going to come down to two or three plays. And it's going to be the team that, that makes those two or three plays that's usually going to tip it in your favor. You know, it was a typical game. It was, it was I thought we were real good through two periods. It was 2 nothing. Uh, we weren't giving a lot up, uh, but the Finns don't go away. You know, they're a good team. They stuck with it. They found a way to tie it. Uh, but I felt through that period because we had played pretty good through the whole tournament and because we were playing good in, in that game, uh, there was a calm as a better club. Uh, I mean, obviously, you don't want to give up a 2 nothing lead. And then it becomes obviously a little bit more hectic when you get in overtime with the three-on-three. Three. Uh, certainly from a, from a coaching point of view, it's just up and down the ice. And, and us coaches probably don't really like the three-on-three three because we're less of a factor uh, <laughs> because, because of the ebbs and the flow. But uh, yeah, Mason made a real good save, a real good play in the goal line. We were down. We took advantage of it. Um, you know, another big play in the game is it was when Finland had scored to make it 2-1. We had a real, real good chance on uh, the offensive zone. And uh, their, goalie, their goalie laying on his belly uh, made an unbelievable save on, on Tyson Forrester. Otherwise, we would have been up 3-1, and I think that would have been the game. But that's what I mean. It comes down to two or three plays, and they were good. We were good. And very thankful that we came out on the right side of it. I'm curious to get your thoughts on this. A lot of people, I think, when it comes to picking a team for a tournament like the World Juniors, 
they're inclined to think you're just going to load up on all the most skilled guys. But I think that there's a little more of a science to it when it comes to picking guys that you feel like can play certain roles. And it seemed like you guys had a lot of balance throughout that lineup. So as you're sorting through that and picking up players and deciding, we know how much talent there is, uh, you know, with the youth players in Canada, how difficult was that? And what were your goals as far as rounding out that roster? Well, it's, we, we know that the, the key word and the key word in rounding out your roster is team. You know, my, my experience has taught me in hockey over the years when, when you have a team that's capable of winning and, and you're up against other teams that are capable of winning, it's generally, it's generally the team that comes together and, and sacrifices and has that team, you know, mindset. And so a lot of the self-evaluation of worth has to come from, you know, the block shots, you know, the physicality, uh, you know, the short shifts, uh, you know, guys who normally are on the club team, for example, might be on the power play, but they're not on the power play here. Just just being able to accept that and not allow that to, that noise to get into your mindset and, and throw you off your game. So, yeah, we're fortunate up here. Uh, you know, we have a lot of depth, as, as the U.S. does now, a lot of depth, so there's some choice. And, uh, you know, who – we we put a big emphasis, of course, obviously on talent. You, you you can't ignore talent, but we put a big emphasis on on who's going to be a good teammate. Along those lines, I know a lot of the Rangers fans who listen will be curious to hear about the guys uh, that you had on your team who are in their prospect pool. There were three of them in total. And, and when you speak about those role players, guys that were willing to do some of the dirty work and be physical, you know, Brennan Offman and Will Cooley, I think both kind of stood out in that regard. I want to start with Offman because when we spoke, you and I spoke about a month ago, you said that you thought at first initially because he didn't make the team around Christmas time and he got the opportunity this time that maybe he was trying a little too hard. We know in that final exhibition game, he took a few penalties and then he was a scratch in the first game. But it seemed like once he got in in that second game of the tournament, he really took off, was productive offensively, but also really stood out for his physicality. So tell me a little bit about what you learned about Brennan Offman in that tournament. Well, I, I think you, you summed up his tournament real well there. You know, you, you summed it up in that, in that uh, you know, uh, coming in new. And, and the big thing in, that we'd mentioned earlier, we only had a week to get our team together. So uh, the new guys coming in, you know, it, it was baptism by fire. It wasn't a two or three week period, three or four exhibition game uh, scene we had where they, could, where they could figure things out and see where they fit in. And uh, and there's pressure. I mean, that this is a this is a big tournament, and these guys know how well it's scouted. Uh, th- these guys know how well uh, that if they play, that they can they can make a real name for themselves. And of course, they want to win. And sometimes they try to play the whole tournament every time they're on the ice, as opposed to just kind of building and taking steps. And Brandon came in, and I think uh, you know he just he he just put a little too much pressure on himself. And, and he was trying to do too much and in trying to do too much, he wasn't getting a whole lot of anything done, but smart player, a real good player. He figured it out. And as the tournament went on and, and as the games got bigger, uh, you know, his role, uh, his ability to score, but his, his ability to put the physicality uh, was huge. Again, that's all part of, that's all part of the team dynamic. And he, he did a real good job. There was a real good player for his, uh, in the gold medal game. He, he's a guy that scored 50 goals in the OHL last season. So people see those kind of stats and their eyes kind of get wide. But at the same time, I think what more people, one scout said to me when I was uh, talking to him after the tournament said he was refreshed by how 
often was able to combine the skill and the scoring with the snarl and the physicality. So it, it seemed like he was a guy that, that maybe you would be comfortable playing in various spots in the lineup because he brings different elements. Yeah. And that's, that's, you know, he's, he, he's kind of like a good golfer. He can use all the clubs in his bag, you know, and that's, that's, that's a real asset to him. He's not by any means one dimensional, but like most kids or, or most young players in junior that score 50 goals, you know, that's, that's where a lot of their self-evaluation comes out of the game. And as they move into pro, uh, you obviously still want them to, to be scorers, but you have to change a little bit of their self-evaluation to uh, their play away from the puck. And for some guy, some guys, uh, the, the physicality part is, is a real hard sell. Uh, but it's not for Brendan. It's, it's part of his DNA. He, he enjoys that. So he's got lots of clubs in his bag there. And now he just has to, as he grows and matures and he moves up to the pro ranks and see how much better it is, uh, then he just has to, to take a breath and, and realize that there's a lot more to the game than scoring. And he's capable of doing that. And uh, I, I see a kid that has a real good career in front of him. Will Cooley also brings some of those physical elements, but he's built differently. He's a big, strong kid. So, so what did you make of him and what was sort of the role you asked him to play for Team Canada? Yeah, Will, Will is more of a, a big body, a uh, power forward, uh, you know, with good hands. And so every team, every team, uh, whether it's in junior uh, American Hockey League NHL has those types of players. And if you look, if you look at the history of the types of players generally that teams are just craving for and make big deals for at the trade deadline, are the real good teams that, are, that have a chance to win but are kind of lacking that type of, of power forward. And, and I see Will filling that. And he did that for me. He was a guy that gave us real depth. He was a guy, you know, they talked about at the Christmas tournament where Connor Bedard scored four goals. Well, Will Cooley played a big role in that. Will was, Will was on the ice with him there. So anytime you can have a real skilled depth forward like that, moving down to the bottom part of your lineup, then that means you have a real good team. And, and Will went into that. He embraced the physicality. He embraced moving up and down the lineup. And he was, he was a real good penalty killer for us. Yeah, I think I think the penalty killing is something that especially at the next level, the Rangers will be looking to see him be able to prove that he can do. Last guy I want to ask you about is Dylan Grand. You told me that Christmas time, you really had no going into the tournament or going into the tryouts. You had no feeling about who the starter was going to be. It was kind of an open competition in your mind. But because of how well Dylan Grand played at that time, Going into the summer, you felt like he had kind of earned that edge. So, so talk me through the evolution that you saw from him. Well, I, I think his his body of work uh, on his club team last year, uh, you know, certainly with me at the World Juniors at Christmas time, and then towards the end of the year and in the playoffs as he finished up last year, um, he didn't do anything. He didn't do anything certainly to lose. You know, that status on me. Now, the other goalies in Costa Brochu, two real good goalies, too, and, and would be number ones um, on a lot of other teams. So we had real good depth there. And my goalie coach, Olivia Michaud, he, he worked with all three. But we just felt that overall the body of work um, that, that Garan, that, that Dylan was our, was our guy. And uh, he played that way. He was steady Eddie through the tournament. And, uh, you know, Gave us, 
one of our strengths, obviously, was our goaltending because of him. Everybody that I ask about him always talks about his routine and how focused he is and how he has a very meticulous plan before every game. Did you observe that as well? Yeah, it's uh, it's it's a case where uh, I call that a pro mentality. Uh, they know what they have to do to get ready. Uh, and so they just do it. You know, they just they just come in and they do it. And uh, they have their they have their routine. Uh, sometimes somebody might call it their quirks a little bit because they're so stringent in it and so dedicated to it. But uh, obviously, if you're uh, the number one goalie in a gold medal, gold medal winning world junior team, uh, you're doing a lot of things right. All right, Dave. Well, I appreciate the time so much. The last thing I wanted to ask you before I let you go, you had mentioned to me last time we spoke that you're friendly with some of the guys on the Rangers coaching staff. I think you said you went to school with Mike Kelly, one of the uh, uh, Gerard Gallant's assistants. Yeah, Mike and I, Mike and I grew up probably two miles apart in a little uh, farming community called Kinkora, and so we were we were uh, actually teammates on uh, on a local high school team, which was big. Uh, back in the 70s at Prince Edward Island's teammates there and then coached against Mike in the OHL. And then uh, so uh, see Mike every summer, know his family, uh, consider Mike a real good friend. And then, of course, Jouard was uh, about 15 miles the other way uh, in Summerside. So certainly knew Jouard, played some ball with him, played against them. And two terrific, uh, obviously two terrific coaches, but two real terrific individuals. And uh, they have no ego. You know, they're they're the consummate uh, uh, team guys and uh, the Rangers are lucky to have them. And they've stuck together for a long time in the NHL. It seems like wherever Gerard goes, Mike goes with him. So so they've obviously maintained that friendship through the years. Yeah, they're, they're two. They're two real close friends And that. And when we coach whatever league we coach in a level we coach in, uh, you know, we we always need somebody with us that we can trust, somebody that's knowledgeable. Somebody that's that's probably has the strengths that we don't have. And, uh, you know, I think Jouard's, Jouard's, I won't say he's a quiet guy, but Jouard's more of a, a reserve guy. And Mike, Mike, I think, is a little bit more um, on task uh, type of guy. So between the two of them, obviously, with the success they've had uh, at all levels, um, they, it's obviously it's working for them and, uh, and uh, expect another big year from their hockey club this year. Great, Dave. Well, well, thank you so much for the time. I really, really do appreciate it. And good luck this season with Ottawa. It should be, it should be a fun one. You guys have a full season. Hopefully no restrictions, knock on wood, and everything will go smoothly. So we'll see what happens. Thanks. Appreciate it. All right. Big thanks to Dave once again for taking the time to come on the show. And with that, we will get to the final segment. Some might say, maybe my favorite segment, it's usually my favorite segment, is answering your questions, which you submitted on Twitter. And I'm not going to do all of them. I've tried to do that before. That can turn into a really long segment. But I'm definitely going to try to do a bunch of them since it's been a little while since we last spoke. And I'm going to run through right now some of these responses. A lot of these questions I'm seeing right off the bat are about Nils Lundqvist, so I guess that's probably a good place to start, and we'll dive in on that whole situation. Listen, when Lundqvist was sent down last January 
Everyone remembers he got 25 games in the NHL, wasn't very productive, only four points, definitely did not play his best or jump out at you during that time. But I also believe that he did some things fairly well, and it was a pretty small sample size. I personally would like to see what he can do with more of an extended run. I also personally would like to see what he would do playing with a partner who's better than Patrick Nemeth, who we know we saw evolve over the course of the season, ended up being a guy that the Rangers didn't even want to play in the playoffs because he he just didn't seem to have a whole lot left and wasn't great for them. And ultimately that led to the trade. So I don't think it's fair to sit back and say, well, Lundqvist didn't you know, make the most of his opportunity and, and he's not good enough to play at this level. I think that that is still very much to be determined. And I also think that I mentioned talking to a lot of people for those prospect rankings that when Lundqvist's name came up, even though we weren't considering him for the prospect rankings this year, a lot of people still have a very high opinion of him and still think that if given the right opportunity, particularly in a place that allows him to play on the power play, which we know with the Rangers, at least as far as PP1 is concerned, Adam Fox is around, he's not going to get that chance. Then you're going to be singing a very different tune about him. One scout in particular that's sticking out in my mind said, listen, the way that he can move the puck crisply out of the defensive zone, how decisive he can be when the puck is on his stick, his ability to navigate through traffic and make the right decisions. That's something that you can't teach. And that's something that he believes, and I know other people believe as well, will eventually bubble to the surface at the NHL level. So he's still well thought of. I mean, last year when I did the rankings, he was the number one overall prospect in the organization. So with all of that being said, you look at this situation and you say, oh man, is this going to happen to the Rangers again? We've seen it happen before where all of a sudden a guy that they had high hopes for wants out. It happened with Leah Anderson. It happened with Vitaly Kratzoff, although now it looks like they have been able to mend that relationship, at least to the point where now they can get along and, and try to make this thing work again. So that's an encouraging sign. But with Lundqvist, I know a lot of people are scratching their head and saying, how did it get to this point? When he was initially demoted in January, I heard whispers. I know other people heard whispers. I know it was pretty much out there. It was definitely no secret that his side was interested in him being moved because they could see the writing on the wall, especially once it became clear how much the Rangers valued Braden Schneider and how Braden Schneider was almost surely going to be in the lineup moving forward. You already knew the top two right-handed spots on defense were held down by Fox and Truba, and that wasn't going to change. And then when Schneider took that third-pair role, you have to sit back and say, okay, well, where does Lundqvist fit? And I think that blockade is what is motivating him and his side to want a trade. So it was pretty much known in the winter that Lundqvist was interested in getting out. I don't have it as an official trade request. I never got that fully confirmed, but I think that there were definitely conversations where it became clear that he would be interested in a trade and was hoping that the Rangers might facilitate that. So take that how you will. This summer, 
I think it was still pretty obvious that the situation remained the same and that he would like to be traded if possible and that the Rangers were very willing to include him in the right deal if it came along. But we've also seen this from Chris Drury, as we saw and we just talked about with Vitaly Kratsov. He's not going to sell low. He is willing to hold the asset until he gets what he considers fair value in return. So I don't think Chris Drury is going to be bullied into trading Nils Lundqvist, who not too long ago was considered the best prospect in the organization, for 50 cents on the dollar. Now, is he going to get completely equal value? Is he going to get a dollar for a dollar here? I have a hard time seeing that, especially now that it's become more public. Now, the most recent update, this was reported by Larry Brooks of the New York Post a couple weeks ago, is that Lundquist is contemplating holding out from camp, not showing up for training camp. And the fact that he's not here for rookie camp right now is a pretty clear indication that he might be leaning that way. Now, next week will be telling. And I do believe that we're going to talk to Chris Drury sometime soon. And I know that I intend to ask the question, as I'm sure others do as well, does he expect Lundquist to be here? And if not, what does that mean for his future with the organization? If he doesn't show up next Wednesday for training camp, then you have more of a problem on your hands. But again, I don't necessarily think that means a trade is going to happen quickly. It could I certainly wouldn't rule it out. I definitely believe that the Rangers are willing to listen on trades. And I definitely believe at this point that Lundqvist wants the trade. But we've also seen Drury do this. We just talked about Kratzoff. If he doesn't get what he wants, I think he'll let it linger. He'll, he'll let it sit for a while. Maybe he'll agree to loan Lundqvist back to the SHL, let him play in Sweden for the year if that's what he wants to do and wait it out and see what happens. And then if an injury happens or whatever it might be, you never know what kind of opportunity might come up. Maybe they circle back around. I never say never. With Kratzoff last year, you guys will remember, I was pretty convinced that the relationship was fractured and that it was going to be really difficult for them to make it work. And now here we are. So I'm certainly not going to sit here and say that Nils Lundqvist will never play for the Rangers again. But All signs are pointing to that. So it's not a great situation, but you kind of understand from his side's perspective, there's not a path to playing time here. So I don't totally blame him for wanting to go to a place where he can really be maximized to his fullest potential. I also can sit here and agree with the people who say, well, is this the best way to handle it? You know, can you come to camp? Can you... If you have to go to Hartford, so be it, and put on a brave face and do your best to make things work while also working behind the scenes to facilitate a trade. I think you can do both. So there's two different paths, and we've seen prospects go both ways with it in recent years. Now, does this speak to the Rangers mismanaging prospects? In some situations, yes, I believe that the Rangers have mismanaged prospects. I believe that the Rangers made some pretty clear blunders when it came to the Kratzoff situation in particular. But I also do believe that we're in more of an age now where when things aren't going a certain way for a prospect who believes that he is ready to play in this league and is is wanting that opportunity, that a lot of times 
guys, I think more now than they were in the past, are inclined to say, I want out. Let me get to a situation that's better for me. This isn't working. I want to play right now. I don't want to wait any longer. I don't want to have to be buried in the AHL. I want to try to speed up my path to the NHL as much as possible. So I'm not going to sit here and and smack talk Lundqvist for the decision that he's making. And again, there's still time. Who knows? Maybe he does end up showing up to camp and trying to at least make a showing of good faith. But from the Rangers' perspective, the last thing that I think that Drury can do here is sell low. And and as I've stated multiple times now, I do not believe that that's what he's going to do. So I'm very curious to see how it turns out. I'm very curious to see if they do end up making a trade, what can he get for him while the rest of the league knows that Lundqvist would prefer to be elsewhere. The priority as pretty much anybody who knows this roster is aware of is that the Rangers, when you look at their prospect pipeline, are thin at center. You can definitely see that by looking at the prospect rankings, that there is no surefire center prospect on that list who who I think the consensus is will be a, a definite top nine caliber NHL player. That was That was the overwhelming opinion that I got while I was working on those rankings is that if there's a position that the Rangers need to add young players to and need to add depth to, especially in upcoming drafts or via trade, it's center. That I think has slipped beyond what you look at on the NHL roster. You know, they're, they're pretty set right now with their top three with Mika Zibanejad, Vincent Trocek, and Philip Hedl. But after that, what do you have? That, that's a big question mark moving forward. So if Drury could find some kind of way to parlay Lundqvist into a center who they believe can play at the NHL level, that could be perceived as somewhat of a win. But if he does not get that type of player then I do believe he needs to hold the asset, and I I do believe that that's what he'll do. And then you never know how things might materialize. So that is the big picture thought on the Lundqvist situation. But yeah, right now, it looks like he probably won't be in camp, and his future with the Rangers is very cloudy, and it's much more likely that you see him play elsewhere. And then you see what he develops into. You know, if he ends up being as good as some people think he can be, might end up being a regret for the Rangers. But at the same time, who are you playing him over right now when you look at Fox, Truba, and Schneider? Some might argue that Lundqvist is the better prospect than Schneider, but I think for what the Rangers want and what the Rangers need, knowing you already have a power play quarterback in Fox, knowing you have a guy in Zach Jones who could very well quarterback that second power play unit, it's hard to really find a role that utilizes Lundqvist's skills to their maximum. It's hard to find a role where you feel like Lundqvist is being used in the right way. Schneider, I think, when you're thinking about your bottom pair, when you're thinking about a guy who's going to bring physicality in the playoffs, when you're thinking about a guy who can be reliable defensively, Schneider, I think, is much more well-suited to that, and, and you know that that is what the Rangers believe. So, it's hard to find a path for Lundqvist given the current roster, unless, of course, an injury happens, and then that could change everything. All right, let's move on from that topic. We have Pistol Pete 2K3 who wrote, have the Rangers had any extension talks with Lafreniere or Miller? Now, 
I do believe that there have been preliminary discussions about what it might take to re-sign them. But I also think that all parties involved know that what both of those players do this upcoming season is going to have a major, major impact on what these new deals look like. It got a lot of attention last week when Tim Stutzla, the young dynamic forward from the Ottawa Senators who was taken with a third overall pick in the 2020 draft, which is two slots after the Rangers took Alexi Lafreniere, Stutzla signed an eight-year contract with an average annual value of over $8 million per season. This is the guy who's only going into his third year in the league and got this massive contract extension from the Senators. Now, I got a lot of attention from Rangers fans in particular because people were wondering, is that the kind of money that Lafreniere is going to be looking for? I don't think there's any chance that he's going to be able to get that type of a deal from the Rangers, given their salary cap situation. But if Lafreniere has a big breakout season, you can imagine that he's going to be looking at that deal and saying, well, I should be getting something at least close to that. You know, people have said, oh, well, what if it's a bridge deal? Well, even if it's a bridge deal, I don't necessarily think that that is going to diminish what he's asking for for the average annual value. And of course, when you're looking at the salary cap, the average annual value is what matters most. The Rangers aren't so concerned with what he'll be making in five or six years. They're concerned with what he's going to be making in the next two or three years because that is when their financial situation is going to be the tightest. So, you know, Lafreniere, he could end up with a bridge deal in the three, maybe four million dollar range if he ends up kind of having a, you know, an okay season, a little bit of steady progression, but but nothing too crazy as far as point production. But if he blows up, and all of a sudden he looks like a, a young star, a young budding star, well, then that's going to complicate things for the Rangers. And so I think for that reason, it's going to be kind of difficult to negotiate with him at this point. The same thing in some ways can be said for Keandre Miller. I think he has been more established than Lafreniere up to this point. I think his play at the end of the season, in particular last year, really in the second half and into the playoffs, jumped out at a lot of people. It seemed like every month, he got better. And you look at, at the toolkit, all the physical attributes that he has at six foot four, maybe even six foot five, the way that he can skate, the way that he uses that reach, the skill, the way that he's improved as a defender. He's just become such a physically imposing force on the ice, not necessarily for the hits that he throws, but because of how gifted he is and how fast he is and how long that reaches. The upside for him is tremendous. And so if he keeps that progression going, I would imagine that they're going to be really difficult negotiations with him. So I think in a lot of ways, both those players can kind of bet on themselves and say, let's see how this year plays out before we maybe accept a lower offer than we might be able to get at the end of the year next year. And you know what? If if they don't show a whole lot of progress, if things are a little more stagnant, you know, then they'll come back and have to kind of take their medicine and maybe take a bridge deal at a lower number. But I think the chances of those deals getting done before we see how they're playing this season are, are somewhat slim. With that said, I never say never. It would definitely behoove the Rangers if they could get them in at a team-friendly number to do it sooner rather than later. But my 
impression and feeling at this point is that those deals are much more likely to happen at the end of the season than they are before the season starts. All right, let's keep going with these questions here. Mark Panzer wrote, assuming Kako starts on the second line, as we all suspect, how much leeway do you think the coaching staff gives him to show something? Clean slate, maybe, but feels like they will be scrutinizing. Do they ride in there for 25 game results or no, or will it be more fluid than that? In some ways, Mark, I think it will be pretty fluid and obviously dependent on his play. If he is given a top six opportunity out of the gate, which I believe he will, then it's going to be up to him to perform well enough to hold that spot down. And if, let's say, a Vitaly Kratzoff is really playing well, maybe that pushes Kako down in the lineup potentially. But I also think that when you look at that right wing depth chart, especially compared to the other forward groups, there's not a whole lot of established talent. And for that reason, I think the Rangers are going to need to lean on Kako and depend on him to play a fairly prominent role. Because even if you move Alexi Lafreniere over to the right side, you're still looking at a really young, unproven depth chart on the right side with Lafreniere, Kako, and Kratzoff. And if you keep Lafreniere on the left side, then what are you doing on the right side? You're probably going to have to play a guy like Barclay Goudreau in the right side somewhere in the top nine. And I think that would definitely dictate Kako continuing to log top six minutes if that's the case. So I, I, I do think that there are reasons to wonder what is his status with the coaching staff right now after they decided and made the very questionable decision to bench him in game six of the Eastern Conference final. But I also think that right now the situation dictates that the Rangers are going to need him to play a fairly prominent role for them this season if they're going to have success. So I think that there's a lot of reasons for them to give him an opportunity and see if he can run with it. I think that right side is really interesting, but also concerning at the same time, because it's going to be exciting to see what these young forwards that the Rangers invested so much draft capital in can do if they're given more ice time and more responsibility. But it's also concerning because if any of them fall flat, there's not a lot of great fallback options for the Rangers right now. So the right side will definitely have my attention this season for sure. And Kako is right near the top of that list. All right, let's keep looking here. Somebody asked if I see any chance that Tyler Mott comes back. Well, we can rule that possibility out now because he signed a one-year, $1.35 million deal with Ottawa earlier today. So I had told you guys in previous podcasts that he was not going to be able to come back because the Rangers simply did not have the money to re-sign him. And now it's official that he's not coming back because he signed with the Senators. So we can definitely rule that one out. Let's see what else we got here. Who is going to replace Strom on the power play? Listen, I know a lot of people, myself included in many respects, would like to see one of the kids, particularly Alexi Lafreniere, maybe get a shot to play with the top power play unit. But I have to believe that at least to begin with, you're going to see Vincent Trocek get that opportunity, not only because 
They gave him the big contract, and he's a veteran, and Gerard Gallant has experience with him and definitely trusts him. But also because you guys heard Walt Ruff, who covers the Carolina Hurricanes, talk about this a couple months ago on the podcast. That was that bumper position that Ryan Strome played for the Rangers. Well, that's the position that Trocek played for Carolina. So he has experience in that spot. He, he's one of Gallant's guys. I think it's probably going to be Trocek to start. I would be surprised if it isn't, even though I would definitely like to see, especially because you feel like it would boost their confidence to maybe get some easy points on the power play. I would really like to see Lafreniere, Kako, Hedl, maybe even Kratzoff at some point this season get more power play time, whether that means playing with power play one or whether that means power play two getting a little more ice time. But it's also hard to begrudge the Rangers for for keeping that first power play unit on the ice a lot because Panarin, Zabanajad, Kreider, and Fox are just so damn good on the power play. Those guys are money makers on the power play. They gave the Rangers one of the best power plays in the league last year, and it's hard to argue with that kind of success. I see another question here uh, from Matt, who goes at Titans Today IG. He actually wrote out what he thinks power play two should be, and he put Kratz off at the net front, Kako in the bumper, Trocek in the left circle, Heedle in the right circle, and Jones at the point. I do think that you have a lot of the names right, although, as I just mentioned, I think Trocek will be on the top unit. So I think you're probably going to see Kako, Lafreniere, Heedle, probably Jones if he makes the team as the the quarterback. I think you're going to see a lot of those young guys make up most of that second power play unit. Does Kratzoff get a chance there? You, you may be able to argue that he should based on his skill. Wouldn't surprise me to see Jacob Truba back out there, not as the quarterback, but as the guy on the left circle who kind of hammers away at those one-timers from, from high up near the point. We know that Gerard Gallant likes him in that role. But yeah, I think you got a lot of the names right. I just think Trocek will probably be on power play one, and you're going to have Lafreniere as a guy on the second unit. Another advantage that I think the coaching staff might see with having Truba there instead of Kratzoff is that Truba gives you another right-handed shot because that unit otherwise is all lefties. Lafreniere shoots lefty, Kako shoots lefty, Hedl shoots lefty, and Jones shoots lefty. So I do think there's a decent chance the Rangers will want to get a right-handed shot on that unit in some spot, probably on the left circle so that they have the one-timer opportunity. All right. Hedge Betts wants to know, does Othman have a shot to make the roster this year? Listen, he has a shot. We've talked about this before, but it's a long shot for sure because of the fact that the Rangers can't send him to the AHL. I don't think they're going to want to just thrust him right into an NHL role at 19 years old. So I do expect that Othman will play for the Flint Firebirds in the OHL this season. He already was attending training camp with them prior to the start of this Rangers rookie camp. So the fact that he was there with Flint should tell you that he's preparing for the likelihood of being there this season. He's the captain of that team. He should be an absolute linchpin in that league, one of the best players in that league, no doubt about it. And I think that that is where he's likely to end up unless he absolutely lights training camp on fire. And even if that happens, he still might need an injury or two to really 
make the Rangers decide, okay, we're going to start the entry-level contract now and we're going to roll the dice on this kid at such a young age. I, I think the target date, as I've said repeatedly for Othman, is most likely going to be next season. All right. Last couple questions here. We'll have a little fun with one of them. A couple of people asked about which players, like NHL regular players, have been skating at the facility or training at the facility prior to the start of NHL camp next week. And I can tell you, it's a lot of them. I don't think the full team is here quite yet, but there's quite a few guys who have not only been here in the last few days, but have spent a lot of the summer here. You know, a lot of the guys live live locally, like Chris Kreider, Adam Fox. I know Jacob Truba spent a lot of time in the facility this summer, especially as he's getting ready to, to have his new role as team captain. I know Vitaly Kratsov got here in July and has been training with a lot of NHL regulars. Another sign that he's really motivated to, to make the most of this opportunity that he's looking at right now. I saw Mika there when I was at the facility today. I know Vincent Trocek is one of the guys who's, who's been there. I know Alexi Lafreniere is there, Keandre Miller. A lot of the young guys definitely seem very eager to get back out there with their teammates. I believe Igor Shosturkin is here already. I, I think a lot of the main regular guys are there early getting ready for the season. I think they're really excited for the season. I think as far as this team went last year, making it to the final four in the NHL, getting that taste of success left them all chomping at the bit to get back at it this season. And I think you can see that based on how many guys have, have gotten here early and are out there skating pretty much every day. Another guy, Ryan Reeves, I know was here for sure. So there, there's a lot of guys that, that I've seen and heard about who have already been skating at the training center in a, at least the last few days, if not the last few weeks. Last question. A lot of people are asking about the haircut, and I can confirm. I know a lot of you saw it on Twitter this summer. It is true. The flow, the lettuce, whatever you want to call it, it is gone. I have not quite a shaved head. We did like a two setting on the buzzer. If those of you who are familiar with haircuts or male haircuts know what that means. Very, very short. We ended up buzzing it really tight after I donated the hair. I was very excited and happy to be able to do that. That's the third time in my life that I've grown my hair long enough to donate. You have to have at least eight inches. I ended up donating close to 12. It had been like two and a half years since my last haircut. And I think I've told this story before, but I wasn't necessarily planning to do it this time. The last time I grew out my hair was in my late 20s. And I did it at that time because my mom was diagnosed with breast cancer and I wanted to donate it to a charity that would make wigs out of the hair for cancer patients. My mom, it was kind of a running joke, although I think she was partially serious, was saying, if I end up losing my hair, I'd rather have your, your hair than a stranger's. So part of the motivation was if my mom ended up needing the hair, I would have it for her. Thankfully, she didn't end up needing chemo. And thankfully, she's cancer free now. I can, I can report that with a big smile on my face. But I donated the hair in my late 20s, and I thought that that was going to be the last time that I did it. But then COVID hit, and what happened when COVID hit? My barber shut down. So I wasn't able to go to my usual barber on the Upper East Side. Shout out to Boris. And then it started getting long, and I was like, you know what? 
I'm getting to the point where I could probably just let it go for a while and be able to do this donation thing one more time. And so then I ended up letting it go. Then we moved to the suburbs, didn't have a barber around here for a while. Still don't actually got to find one still. And things got really busy with the baby and the move and the season and the playoff run. And it ended up being a really long time before I got the haircut. I didn't actually end up getting it cut until August. I wanted to do it like a month sooner, but the schedule was just so hectic this summer that I didn't get a chance to get around and do it. Finally got it cut in August. My cousin came over. She's worked in a salon for years and is really good at doing all that stuff. So she helped me out a lot, had a few drinks, made a nice dinner, and we shaved our head out in the courtyard and, and, and made a little night out of it, which was a lot of fun. And now I'm here with a shaved head. Don't know what I'm going to do next. That's kind of the next question. Like, I don't know if I want to keep it shaved, although it's great. I repeat, great for showers. My shower time since I cut the hair has been like more than cut in half. So that's really nice. It's also really nice when I'm out doing summertime activities, especially when I was in Puerto Rico, to not have all that hair on the back of my neck. Even though I was man bunning a lot at the end, it still was hot and sweaty and gross and so you know I don't want to get too deep into it I'm gross you guys out here but yeah dealing with that hair is a lot of maintenance I don't envy the people who keep it all the time because it, it, it can be annoying it was also fun in a lot of ways I do miss it in some ways but yeah I'm enjoying the short hair right now definitely got to figure out what the next hairstyle is going to be and at some point soon have to find a barber but right now it's short it's tight it's, it's easy to manage, and I'm very thankful that I was able to donate it to a good cause. Charity this time, last time I did St. Baldrick's, which is a hospital uh, for children's cancer. This time I donated it to another charity that makes wigs for children with cancer. So that charity is called Children with Hair Loss. And so, yeah, definitely a great cause if, if you guys ever want to consider doing something like that yourself and, and very happy that I was able to do it and give it to a good cause this time around. But yeah. Hair is gone, super short, definitely got some funny looks around the facility today, definitely some jokes I'm sure will be coming at my expense, especially as more players show up, but that's all fine and good. Uh, Again, I'm just enjoying the short showers right now. So with that, that will do it for this week's episode. We are back. Season three will roll on. The plan is going to be a new episode coming for you every Thursday morning moving forward. Once we get into the season and and we're traveling and and a lot of stuff is going on, there might be certain weeks where we push it either forward or back a day. I will keep you posted on that. But generally speaking, I would expect to see a new episode every Thursday. I appreciate all of you who patiently waited for this to come back. I appreciate all the loyal listeners who are back and listening and, and hopefully excited for the new season. A lot of good stuff to come. It has only just begun. The new season is almost here. I'm happy. I'm excited. I'm glad to be back with you guys. We really get rolling with NHL camp next week. I'll definitely have some insight and reporting for you guys from that next week. Until then, everybody be safe. Everybody enjoy these final few days of summer, and I will talk to you soon. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast 
set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.